Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, a show about critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I'm Michael, and with me, as always, is Cameron. Yep. Today be we get... Today we begin... To way we begin... To way... We are gathered to here today to celebrate Homestuck. <laughs> um, Who's this guy? What kind of Michael's this? Uh, I... It's, little, baby, little baby Michael. Yeah, yeah, it's... <laughs> Simultaneously, oh, it's Darling Boy Michael. Yeah. Darling Boy that Michael, must... but simultaneously like outdated movie reference slash Homestar Runner Michael. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. It is a Homestar, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tunes. Uh, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we're beginning uh episode twelve of Homestuck Made This World with partisode twelve one. Wow. Here we are, like in the next to the last episode. Because the last episode's episode 13. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Lucky 13. Mm. Mm. Unlucky 13. Stephen King told me 13 was unlucky. <laughs> Along with the number 19. Uh, is 19 unlucky? I thought 19 was the magic number. Well, I don't know. A lot I, of shit goes on. I guess, I guess it's debatable on what's happening with 19. Yeah. Check out just King Things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we surely are here at the end. If I sound a little distracted, it's because I'm making a fan troll while I'm talking. Oh, okay. That's good. And I'm going to tweet it while you're talking. Okay, cool. Okay. And then we'll get a live react and then people will know exactly when we recorded this. But you know what? <laughs> I'm laughing already. It's funny to me. All right. It's it's funny. <laughs> I'm part of the fandom. I'm making a fan troll. I'm part of the fandom now. While you do that, while you finish up, I guess I can summarize what we read for today. Okay, if you need to. If you think that's important. All right. Act 6, Act 6, Intermission 5 begins with a relaxing tune while we are treated to a slideshow of Vriska-gram, Vriska's personalized Instagram timeline, where we observe in brief how the three-year meteor journey plays out with her on board. She stops Gamzee and Terezi from falling into their toxic dynamic and knocks drinks out of Rose's hand to keep her from becoming an alcoholic. Meanwhile, Dave and Carcat form a great friendship with each other and the mayor. Vriska evidently fulfills most of Gamzee's roles in the new session, creating a Tavros sprite for Jane and ensuring the creation of Arqueous sprite with Dirk. Upon arriving in the session and dealing with Jane and Jade, everyone waits around for John and Roxy to show up. They do, and everyone awake and present is reunited. Dave, John, and Carcat have a long conversation about masculinity and compulsory heterosexuality's obsolescence in a post-sperb society. Rose and Roxy get to know each other while Kanaya hangs out. Tavros and Jake talk about what it's like to be minor characters, a way of thinking Vriska endorses. Terezi and Vriska consult on the general situation, revealing Vriska has trapped Gamzee inside Jane's refrigerator and will soon head out on a critical solo mission. Dave, Rose, and Roxy have a halting, awkward family interaction. Carcat, Kanaya, and Vriska talk about the various disadvantages trolls will face in a human troll society because of their different patterns of procreation. Arqueous Sprite and Dave talk about Dirk. John and Jake have a friendly chat. Then Vriska convenes a meeting and covers all the incoming threats, explaining that everyone will have to split up into teams. Jasper Sprite appears, having dug up Rose's corpse on John's planet, and now throws it into Roxy's empty Colonel Sprite. This produces Rose Sprite, who is also ready to help out. 
Vriska hands over the Earth to John, which has been shrunken down for transportation to the new universe that the game is about to make. She then teleports Dirk back into the session and heads into the furthest ring herself to begin her solo mission. Jane wakes up when Arqueous Sprite removes her mind control headband and Jasper Sprite hugs Rose Sprite, prototyping himself and making Jaspro Sprite squared, mortifying Rose. In Callie's hideout, she and Jade are suddenly transported to the cavern of the denizen Echidna. There they meet the god-tier alternate Calliope. She takes Callie aside, dissipating Callie's trollsona, and tells her she's been waiting for Callie as her signal to begin her last great task. She explains that she grew up alone, without a view of the Alpha Kids, and therefore was stronger, allowing her to predominate over Caliborn. However, when she entered the game, she found she could not complete its trials because she wasn't a time player. Accepting the terms offered by Echidna, she died, waited for an eternity, and now can go fulfill her purpose. Callie asks what she should do in all this, and Alt Calliope tells her to, quote, be who you've become and who I didn't. She leaves with Jade as Roxy appears, giving Calliope the Ring of Life, resurrecting her, and bringing her back into the session. Everyone greets her warmly. Kanaya meets with Echidna, who tells her Karkat has an important duty and must be extracted from the final battle. She does so by rendering him unconscious. Meanwhile, Dave and Dirk wait to intercept one of the approaching Jack Noirs on Dirk's planet. It's awkward. Jaspro's sprite bounces hyperactively around the session. She has plans for the last unused Colonel sprite. In the Dream Bubbles, Mina and the dead, punk version of Vriska hang out by an enchanted cliffscape near some horses. An ill omen if I ever saw one, but that is where today's reading ends. Wow. Yep. Huh. So, um, if you're not reading along, I think one thing that should maybe be underscored, it was, uh, uh, maybe you, you glanced it in passing from my summary here, uh, but... Even hearing it indirectly like that doesn't do it justice. There's a whole lot of reading here, like a whole lot of reading at once, just like a, a, a huge bumper crop of character conversations that come one right after the other and are very, very long uh, for the most part. Um, how did you how did you find that, Cameron? What's happened? That's a really great question. This is also something that's being asked in the thread. Continue. <laughs> just what's going on? I, I just we're we've been in the end game now for three hundred pages. Mm -hmm. We we went back in time to get Vriska to let her control the plot. Uh huh. And so far, she's right about everything. Mm hmm. <laughs> you know, in the sense that like she she uh. Historically, the maneuver with Vriska has been this. It's happened twice. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's happened more than one time if you count alternate Vriskas, right? But at least twice with this Vriska. Vriska believes that she understands what's occurring mm -hmm. in the world and manipulates everyone into it. That was wrong. Mm -hmm. And she fucked everything up and has to be kind of removed from power. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the first time she's killed, the second time uh, she you, you she know, gets a girlfriend. He kills her. Yeah, the, the second time, yeah, right. <laughs> she just you know kind of leaves. Uh, the the and so like the this question. So she self removes her herself from the scenario, and so the question for me is like, there. I guess there are two ways of reading it. I guess I don't have a question. 
there are two ways <laughs> of reading it. One is that uh, it was a mistake to get rid of Vriska to begin with. Mm-hmm. That truly, Terezi made an error mm-hmm. in killing Vriska. Mm-hmm. And that error is what made everything go bad. And that is, in the readings that we have now read past the last partisode, what Terezi seems to believe. Mm-hmm. Even though I would say that there is not the scaffolding for that. Uh, you know, there's scaffolding for that reading in the way that there's scaffolding for all readings in Homestuck, and that there are pieces you can pick and choose in order to make that reading coherent. And obviously, in the same way that Homestuck is always looking backward to pull pieces of the past into the future to justify itself, the Terezi-Vriska relationship is one of those maneuvers, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The Terezi-Vriska relationship is the maneuver that revealed the green sun all over again, right? Mechanistically, in the sense of, here's the information you had, but lo and behold, you didn't know that the way it cohered was this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then it's a revelation. So it's this kind of uh, beautiful uh, retcon logic, right? Where the thing was always true, mm-hmm. if you could find the pieces that I'm telling you to look for right now. Right. You know, it's it's one of those. Um, and so it, that's that's fine, right? But But what seems really odd to me is that uh in this piece that we read for this part episode it seems like the entire and this is my second point the entire narrative has bent its way around to both bring vriska back and then to justify all of vriska's behaviors as the correct ones the whole time mm-hmm it's weird. It's just like, like, and this, I guess, like, I don't have like a big meta, like, oh my, Homestuck's ruined. Andrew Hussey ruined Homestuck. Like, that's not what I'm saying here, right? It's just like, well, this is kind of not very interesting to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if this were the case, then if if this is the case, it, like, kind of like we talked about in the last part of so, then uh, all of the interesting things that happened between here and there, they that had like kind of plot based implications mm-hmm. right like who will be in what place during the end game it, it, it's not that they didn't matter because we read through them and they were interesting to read through but it's like i was kind of interested in seeing where you know the pieces as they lay where they would go mm-hmm. and the the mechanism the plot mechanism has kind of gotten to have it both ways you know like we still get all the alpha kids meeting the beta kids mm-hmm. you know we still got all the trolls and the troll relationships. In fact, we are resurrecting trolls right and left in order to get them back into the story, right? Everyone gets to have their little 1v1 character moment or 2v1 character moment or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's just like, it. it it's, uh, you know, a big old whoopee cushion, right? Mm-hmm. It's making that cartoon fart sound. Um, <laughs> because it's just like, all right, I guess Risk is back, and I guess Risk is at the center of the plot, and we're going to have to, like, hear Vriska... Read Vriska. I'm not hearing it, thankfully. <laughs> but we're get, we get to read Vriska have the same goddamn conversation oh, again. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I bet somewhere in here we're going to get like a heartfelt thing where she realizes she did wrong the whole time. <laughs> well, we're, well, let's find out. Wait, we got... <laughs> and we're going to find out, oh, she was raised by a spider. Uh, You know, what? oh, oh she, she lived near a, a robot weirdo. Mm-hmm. It was all because of her her upbringing as a as as a fake fantasy creature on sci fi world. Oh, uh, that dimensions of that conversation are going to go in a very exciting direction uh, next part episode. I, pro- I can promise you that. Well, that's fun. It's going to be, be right. a bit of a wild card introduced to <laughs> the way fans are are uh, taking up those rhetorical moves. Well, that's that's interesting. 
but but yeah, so that's kind of my thing. It's like, well, I guess Risk is back, and it is funny to watch like all these things that happened in the meantime, and we get to see them run again, but with Riska there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 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 thing that is not exciting is is like I was saying, it's like, well, Riska just solves all the problems, I guess. Yeah. Uh. So there's a couple things that are going on about uh uh all of this in the thread kind of three uh strands of conversation that i can pull out um starting big perspective top level all of these conversations not just the the Vriska stuff but uh all of the like long conversations that everyone is having uh people are loving this in in kind of a big sense or rather there are lots of people who are loving it uh people have waited for this for years like just for Vriska to come uh, back, not just for Vriska to come back, but for uh, these characters to just talk to one another. Like this is can, a- can I can I yeah. can I interrupt you really quick mm-hmm. to show you something? Sure. Yeah. <gasps> Peepa Pig. <laughs> it's my fan troll, Peepa Pig. Peepa Pig for for Hive Swap Act Three. <laughs> All right, okay. you can keep talking. All right, cool. I just I thought you'd enjoy looking at people pig. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so people have been wanting, like, the kids to have conversations with each other forever. Just, like, you know, uh, since Act 2, 3, I don't know. Um, once it became clear that... Uh, you know, all the kids were being pulled into the game. Uh, people have been like saying like, oh, I can't wait until so-and-so meets so-and-so face-to-face. This has constantly been a kind of like a uh, topic of like uh, fan investment, kind of reader speculation. Uh, we've even gotten kind of some uh, weird fake outs about this in the plot so far because there was the whole uh, scene where uh, John is hanging out on Jake's planet and everyone gets teleported in by evil Jade. And then we skip forward and it turns out and Caliborn takes over the narrative and a bunch of stuff like gets uh, sort of skipped over and then implied that they had all these conversations, but we never get to see them. And so it mm-hmm. seems for a long time, like for for some baffling reason, Hussey has taken the the fan desire for all the characters to have time to talk to one another and done the typical Homestuck move of... Yeah, it happened, and I'm not going to tell you anything about it so you can, like, fill it in retroactively with your own uh, uh, fanfic or whatever. Um, then we get John doing the retcon arc. He goes back to that scene and says something along the lines of, you know, oh, we had so many great conversations. I'll always remember them, but I also feel like we weren't ready for them. So now here, finally, here's your reward, dear reader. Uh, you got to the end of Homestuck, and now all of the characters talk to one another, and people are just like, uh, thrilled in, in mm-hmm. I think, large part that all the characters finally do get to talk to one another. Um, now, the specific aspects of some of these conversations actually begin to result in what I have come to think of as uh, the great sundering. Uh, having <laughs> having having read at this point of, of recording, having read all of the Something Awful posts up to this year, 2022... Um, Mm -hmm. and I have, so I like, I have the entire kind of arc of the thread, uh, in where it goes in my mind, uh, 
and it mm-hmm. goes to some and, and and quite a lot of Tumblr too is running around here, right? I mean, I know it's not your primary archive, mm-hmm. but you have read quite a bit of that as well. Yes, well, I haven't read uh, Tumblr ahead because that would be just way too much. I read Tumblr in in more uh, uh, relative chunks to when we record the episodes, but uh, right. the thread itself, because it's linear, is easier to just kind of blast through. But uh, the right. interesting thing about uh, the thread is that it is kind of increasingly pulling in ideas from Tumblr, so I'm also getting some temperature taking there. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So more, more. I'll I'll have more to say on those things, uh, you know, later. Uh, but uh, in the thread, uh, people in general seem to like the fact that this is happening. Specific conversations that we will talk about have uh, some different reactions. Um, but on the topic of Riska, because I think this is a good one. Um, People are similarly a little confused because, uh, well, one person, at least in particular, is saying, uh, uh, well, I think it's maybe more than one person, but there's one person who kind of like makes a big post about it, like uh, saying something more or less like, I cannot believe this entire Vriska thing is just happening again. Like I am like Mm -hmm. Vriska has had like three successful arcs by this point as a character Mm -hmm. and like come to a concluding point in those arcs. Was that person me just now? <laughs> it could have been. It could have been you posting backward through time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything's possible. Uh, and so they uh, are like they complain about it. They're not happy about it. Uh, but in general, I think uh, most of the response to the Vriska stuff here is is more general confusion because uh, it's like what you said. It's um, it is weird to introduce Vriska and have her just be the same Vriska she was before she was killed for her hubris, um, and have her act in more or less the same way, and have that just be presented as like, oh, by the way, this is good. And so, of course, there are people who are saying like, oh, we should understand that like this Vriska isn't as like developed as the other Vriska who we've seen in the dream bubbles who got the uh, undercut and the piercings and the tattoos and everything. Uh, yeah, cool Vriska. Right. So there are people who are saying like, okay, so like the thing here is that Vriska was the only person who was competent enough to get things done. But also that doesn't mean that Vriska is like a good person in this mode, Uh, like that there is uh, uh, there's a kind of ambiguity or ambivalence here. And of course, this is becoming kind of thematically appropriate in the sense that we're getting a lot of characters starting to talk about their alternate selves or like. Mm-hmm. You know, what does it mean that there's a me in another timeline who did this, that, and the other? Like, what does that mean for me? Which one of us is more real? Um, and the uh, weight is being put on the kind of read that suggests that all of these distinct uh, instances of these characters are, like, equally real for their contexts. So, again, you can see here uh, the way that the comic is uh, uh, laying foundations for or, like, uh, playing into what we've talked about um in previous partisodes, the the platonic ideal ideas of characters. And in fact, I don't know if it is in this chunk of reading or possibly during the next chunk, but there is a, another instance where someone in the thread like goes through all the instances of Dave and lays out, uh, you know, each one of these different versions of Dave gives me a perspective on the greater whole that is like Daveness. Uh, mm. Right. So that that uh, cosmic Dave. Yes. Mm hmm. Get going, getting on DMT, thinking about Dave. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, some of that is going on. Uh, I can also tell you, kind of historically, one of the things that's confusing to me here 
and this uh, I can point back to the previous partisode when I laid out kind of my uh, history with Caliborn and kind of that character. Um, there is a reading of Homestuck, like uh, a big picture that sort of circulates in the fandom, that uh, over the course of doing Homestuck, uh, Hussey became disenchanted with kind of their older style of being a person online. Uh, and so all of those uh, kind of tendencies in their storytelling uh, get maybe sort of like locked into the character of Caliborn, who is then like expelled into kind into the prehistory of the narrative or whatever, right? He he gets to lord over the first half of Homestuck the story, uh, which was when Hussey was kind of more in that uh, internet puppet master mode. Uh, and we see in Act 6 kind of the uh, opening up of... Uh, what was called at the time and is called being talked about in the thread as like SJW culture, right? Uh, uh, an interest mm -hmm. in telling stories that are more uh, sensitive to uh, particular identities or people or like uh, uh, issues um, and more interested in kind of acceptance and representation. Uh, so there's this way of reading Homestuck that is about reading it as kind of this arc of hussy, um, you know, growing out of their old habits or sort of their their old perspectives on things uh, and becoming a kind of different person. Uh, one other kind of like, you know, piece of, I guess, evidence in this uh, regard is to think about uh, Lil Cal as the the ultimate plot device re uh, revealed in the previous part episode, uh, as I pointed out way back when, also shares a name with a racist caricature in a really old comic that Hussey, you know, got a... Uh, uh, heavily criticized for by the Homestuck fandom later on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the sense of like, oh yeah, this horrible thing that uh, uh, I did in the past, like keeping it in the past, whatever. Um, I think that's sort of a fair reading and it's a reading that I would like to embrace and historically was pretty uh, open to embracing. I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Um, but I hesitate uh, with that. Uh, uh, I mean, not to say that I don't think that like some of that stuff is going on there, but I don't think that that's determinant of what's going on in Homestuck um, for a couple of reasons. One is that's already what's happened to me, right? That's me. That's my experience with Homestuck. And I am sort of uh, reluctant to take my own uh, kind of trajectory with the comic and then project that onto the author and be like, oh, by the way... <laughs> because i experienced a thing the comic must have also experienced the thing right uh in order to prompt that in me right exactly yeah 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 you it's uh easy to find a pattern when you're looking for a pattern mm -hmm. um and yeah so uh uh it's that and it's also like a sense i think to some extent that uh hussy doesn't like it when people are projecting like things onto them in kind of a big sense i think here of uh the parts in the middle of the comic in Act 5 when Hussey shows up in their little, like, uh, uh, interruptions, and they become mm -hmm. a robot, and this is, like, at the same time that people are talking about, like, oh, wow, Hussey must be some sort of robot or computer to be mm -hmm. able to make all these panels so fast. Uh, there's, like, an awareness, uh, at least at that point, of the way... Ah, uh, yes, Michael, but that's old Hussey. <laughs> this is new Hussey. The, the the very function of, of time passing means you're wrong. Yeah, well, I guess that's true. Boom, boom, got him. Except 
<laughs> then you know, so I, like I said, it, uh, historically in 2015, I'm kind of like I'm I, I'm I'm willing to imagine that Hussey and I would have had like a similar kind of arc to the past uh, at this point, like six years of our lives, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Not to say that we are like a, a wholly overlapping Venn diagram, but uh, running around in kind of similar forum circles, similar humor circles, uh, and. Uh, being thrust into like the new version of online and all this stuff and in like changing in response to it. Um, Perfectly willing to kind of believe that except then when these updates hit, I don't quite know what to do with them because what you just said that uh, one of the points that seems to come out of this little chunk of readings here is that it's actually to everyone's benefit that Vriska did not change at all. And had no real development other than uh, maybe, like, being less of a nightmare because she got to hang out with Terezi instead of, uh, like, being a, a weird duel of wits to the death. Um, but then there's, I, I think of, like, uh, one of the scenes that always lands really strange me, str- strangely for me here is that long conversation between uh, Jake and Tavros Sprite, where they're talking about being... Uh, like minor characters and how they're just kind of doomed to be minor characters forever. And Vriska is like, yes, that's right. Like you both suck and you're never going to get any better. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just, I truly don't, you know, all jokes aside. Uh, I, d- I don't know what we're meant to do with Vriska. It, the, the narrative, it's, it's kind of a, a fascinating moment here where, uh, as we've said many times, uh, many times across the thing, Homestuck does not believe in subtext, mm-hmm. right? Like it just as a work, it, there are there are the if you are intended to read something, meaning if the narrative is focusing on something and trying to kind of surface it as a theme or an idea or a resonant concept or whatever, a character will probably say it in exposition. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they will they will tell you what is up. Um, and even when that doesn't happen, you often have the narratorial voice or or thematics, right? So like the robot stuff that you're talking about, right? Somewhere, what Homestuck is talking about kind of gets spoken, mm-hmm. right? Or visualized or made text directly in front of us. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm thinking here about even the kind of broad fandom impulses that get turned into Calliope and Caliborn, right? the... And then, you know, the never-ending story references, right? The fact that Arin becomes, like, visualized on screen, mm-hmm. you know? Like, these, the things that it is interested in talking about just get surfaced, you know? I, I, I don't think that as a storyteller here across Homestuck, I think one consistency is that Hussey is not interested in leaving things that might be important or kind of uh, an itch that they're trying to scratch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, leaving that implied. I just, I, I, you know, that's not a thing. And so what's so interesting about Vriska here is I truly, as you're saying, I truly don't know how we're supposed to take Vriska coming back. Mm-hmm. Is it a correction for a great error, which is what Terezi believes? Mm-hmm. Uh, or is it just, you know, like, like what you're talking about, right? Is it just... Uh, you know, um, uh, Lucy with the football, right? Like, mm-hmm. are are we are we just falling for it again? Because she is such a, a a powerful character who does a really good job of kind of orienting the plot around her, right? I'm thinking here 
also about some of the stuff you were talking about in the fandom around active and passive characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, she is one of our few active protagonists, right? And protagonists just in the sense of is driving the plot forward. You know, obviously she has these kinds of teams and things like that. The the other thing I guess that's interesting about it is how sidelined Carcat feels. Uh huh. And and Carcat in, in like again, there's no subtext, right? Homestuck does not have subtext mm-hmm. <laughs> overwhelmingly. Uh, what we could t- you could write this entire thing, and you could do the work in your head of being like, okay, well, Carcat, you know, has spent so many arcs as well, a kind of an equal number of arcs, being like. I want to help people out. I want to be in front of the pack. I want to be a leader here. You know, he, he, he's a leader of whatever, Team A or Team B. I don't remember which team <laughs> he's on. But, you know, there was that kind of, And then, uh-oh, fuck, I fucked that up. And and Carcat says that, too. That is text, right? I, I had the opportunity to help out, and I failed to do so, mm-hmm. right? Because maybe I'm not a leader. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. That's Carcat's arc. So now, but now with the Vriska kind of retcon maneuver, right? Vriska was there the whole time. Carcat now only gets to talk about he never got the opportunity to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And so it's this like kind of weird like run back, but but not subtextual, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, remember Carcat used to be a leader. Now Carcat's not a leader. He never got the opportunity to be. So Carcat is going to talk about his character development constantly every time he is on screen now because Vriska was there, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's a moment to me uh, that... so. The Vriska stuff is ambivalent mm-hmm. in, in broadly to me, right? I really don't know if if Homestuck is saying this was this is a positive development, you know, this is a, a useful thing that's going to happen and help everyone accomplish their goals in a good and positive way, which might not be where the thing's going. I'm sure we will talk about all of its all of this uh, signposting about narrative, blah blah, whatever that happens. So, you know, is that happening? Uh, there's this ambiguity around Vriska to, for me reading this. but And then there's this absolute non-ambiguity around Carcat, mm-hmm. right? Like, but we are getting and being told explicitly how Carcat feels, and I think implied how we are supposed to feel about what's happened to Carcat being sidelined into this other kind of silo of not plot importantness. Carcat literally is a character who is mourning the fact that they are no longer in the position of the comic that they once were. Mm-hmm. And so the, holding those two things, right? That that one is so nebulous in a way that the comic just has not been. And one is so unnebulous in a way that is very normal for the comic, right? <laughs> those two things in tandem are, are quite odd. It's a weird mode to shift back and forth from. Yeah, I, I know that it, even one of my initial thoughts reading this historically was, is this not just the same old Homestuck song and dance? Uh, where Hussey gives the the fandom the readership, right? Like there's there's a sense that Vriska was willed back to life. Uh, people and there are people in the thread who are like, hell yeah, this is right. This is why Vriska should never have been killed, uh, because Vriska is the only one of these characters who had the gumption or kind of the the focus, the fortitude to make sure everyone was doing stuff rather than mm-hmm. dilly dallying. Um, mm-hmm. so. I mean, sure, I guess, but uh, as you say, it's it's very ambivalent. So one of the things that I'm wondering historically is this not just another instance of Homestuck giving the the fandom, you know, quote unquote, what it wants, uh, but then also like backhandedly chastising them 
of being like, okay, like you you uh, believed in her hard enough. Vriska came back, and guess what? She's just as much of an asshole as she ever was. And here's how she makes the other characters feel bad. Mm-hmm. And and I, I guess one critical piece of information here that ob- obviously this is where the archival and the serial experience are aeons apart, right? Because during the serial experience, you don't know that the ending is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that. You know what I mean? Like, I know that we're getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. I know that that there. I, I can count the pages. I've, I've got the spreadsheet of where the ending is, where we you know plan what our readings are. I know exactly how many pages we are from the end, although I did, in fact, misread that, as you know. <laughs> uh, and I'll talk about the next part episode. But, uh, you know, even if, because it, it sounds like you're about to say, people know we're in the end game. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, I, they probably don't know exactly where in the end game they are. But I know the page count, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, as I'm watching this, or, you know, reading through this, where are we going to go, mm-hmm. right? Like, how much room is there for, like, a reversal of this that I would expect, right? Like, hey, you wanted your, uh, you know, you wanted your cupcakes, well, eat two dozen cupcakes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you wanted your Vriska, get your Vriska back, deal with it, you know? I'm going to sideline all these other characters, and I'm going to kind of punish these other characters in that way, right? Mm-hmm. By virtue of of highlighting this character that the fandom wanted back. Mm-hmm. Okay, whatever, right? But that takes time and that takes pages and we don't have that many pages. So me as an archival reader, I'm just looking at the bottom of the page at the, at the page number going, where the fuck is this going? Like how, how much time? And, and uh, listener, I was not prepared for where in this part episode <laughs> and the next part episode we, we end up going. And how many pages are, I would say, wasted <laughs> on something that is uh flabbergasting Mm -hmm. to me (laughs) so this is might actually be a good segue because you're right i was going to say people are aware we're in the end game uh but the important thing is as you say we don't know how many pages are outstanding uh like we we know we're heading toward an Mm -hmm. end and so there's a lot of theory crafting that's going on about like how this might end up leading toward the end. So one of the big theories that is uh, being floated and has some sort of traction and this, I think, is coming from Tumblr or possibly the official forums, um, but is also coming up again and again uh, in the essay thread where people are like, hey, have you heard about blah, uh, is that this isn't Vriska. We are going to find out that this Vriska is actually just Arania who has uh, secretly come back to life and stolen Vriska's position. That's one theory that is has some traction okay. here. Sure. Um, uh, the other big theory that is actually floating around is going to be like a hat situation where where Vriska takes off <laughs> a robot eyeball. Yes, and was Arania the whole time. Okay, got it. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, that's a reasonable read. Uh, the other big uh uh, I guess theory that's being floated that I think is uh relevant to what you're talking about a sense of like why is this happening how how could this possibly lead us toward an endpoint um is the creation of jaspros bright squared hmm. uh which we can we can talk about in slightly more granular detail uh but suffice it to say uh one of the other theories that is uh bopping around is that all of these kind of stray sprites that we have in the game there's some there's a theory that in some way they are all going to be like prototyped together and that is going to do one of two things it is either going to create lord english uh 
like the because uh, uh, all the sprites, especially the the squared sprites. So the the again, if you're not reading, um, you wouldn't know this, but the sprites all have very specific colors, uh, and because the they're animated, they tend to like flash in those colors. The sprite squared characters. Um, are always combo colors, and they alternate between those colors when they flash. Uh, Lord English is defined by having all of these colors, like, flashing, like, in his text or in his, like, you know, rainbow laser breath or whatever. Uh, so there's uh, a theory that somehow all of the sprites are going to be going to be mashed together, and that is going to give rise to Lord English, or, alternatively, uh, Calliope's uh, counterpart to Lord English. Uh, the, the, this character is often called uh, in the fan theorizations uh, Lady Massé, I believe. Uh, Massé being another type of pool shot. Um, so these are two theories that are uh, uh, coming up in this reading and in next reading and are like persistent until the end, right? These are ways that people are, are trying to think of uh, how this comic could come to an end in a way that uh, felt conclusive or felt like kind of, you know, a period at the end of a sentence. Uh, take that for what you will. We'll, we'll see how they turn out. What do you think about Jasper Sprite more broadly? Because this is, this is something. I just don't like it. Like, I don't. Yeah. It's not for me. Yeah. It's not it, it's not fun to me. Like I don't um it's it's like all of the the sprite goofery mm -hmm. other than Nana Sprite, the goat. Uh other than Nana Sprite, all sprite goofery to me is like uh like random monkey tumbler memes. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, just, there, it's like one step too silly for me. That's partly the reaction in the thread. There, that's you know, uh, apart from the theorizing, there are people who are like, this is like one step too weird for me to like, feel like I'm on board with it. Not in like a, I, they feel gross, people are feeling grossed out way, but it is like a, um, mm -hmm. yeah. it's like the, the edge of the, the story like is just punctured and it's like, what are we doing here? Yeah, the, yeah, that, that's kind of how I, I feel about when I'm reading it. I'm just thinking like, Homestuck has done a really good job. It it, it really is a, um, uh, I, I don't momentous is not not the right word. <laughs> uh, notable. It's a notable text in in how it can oscillate back and forth between the joke, and and the serious stuff, mm -hmm. right? And what the sprites are intercut with, you know, so there's like spritey, spritey, sprite stuff, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're goofing and, and boofing. And it gets even weirder in the next part of so. But that's happened. And then it's like, all right, and we're intercut with like new sincerity Dave. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And it's like, it maybe serially, again, this could be a difference, right? Serially, you're probably not reading those in one sitting, you know? Mm -hmm. You're probably getting these little pieces bit by bit. Mm-hmm. But I'm sitting here and I'm literally bouncing back and forth between, you know, uh, like a 13 year old's wildest dreams of like what their pet animals would do if combined with a, uh, you know, uh, with with a friend of theirs and like uh, a magic elf. Right. <laughs> yeah. It becomes the Cheshire yeah. cat. Right. That's that's the yeah. joke with Jasper yeah. Sprite is that she's like the Cheshire cat. <laughs> right. And so you get that. And then. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the sprites at their core are like, what if Princess Leia was, a, like, a Doctor Who? 
which which is it's like it's a time of like Tumblr and Facebook joke, right? Mm-hmm. It's like what if these two things you know get put together and we have to zanely work out what the thing is, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like that that's its own era of like nerd shit, right? That we all live through. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have a whole chest full of awards that I won by braving the battles <laughs> therein, right? So there's that. And then it's like we bounce back to like, uh, you know, I'm thinking of this thing on uh, 7487. It's just the long, extremely long car cat, John, Dave, what are we doing here? What's our destiny? How do we live in this world that, you know, as we're in the end game? Mm-hmm. Like, this serious shit, right? And stuff gets more serious later that makes it even more weird to bounce them back, back and forth from. Mm-hmm. But it, it's just like, I'm getting to the sprites and I'm like, this is and this is interesting, right? Like, you know, Homestuck turns you, all, all media t- teaches you how to read it. Homestuck uh, has taught you how to kind of silo out these different modes, mm-hmm. right? The comedy mode, the melodrama mode, the kind of big epic storytelling mode, the fantasy mode, right? The, the kind of mythological stuff that we've gotten with uh, Caliborn and uh, Calliope, right? Like, and, and then the way you're supposed to read Dream Bubbles, right? Which is like this whole different mode. It, it It's doing such an interesting job of multimodally kind of telling you, hey, there are different reading, you know, what Delaney... Uh, uh, Samuel Delaney, what he called reading protocols, right? Like, here are the different protocols through which you're supposed to approach these different things. But I don't know if it is the knowing we're getting toward the end, my patience with switching uh, these modes is just wearing thin. That could be the case, right? It could be that the comic hasn't changed. It's just that my patience for the way the comic is telling the story is changing. That could be true. Or it could be that it's just not sinking the, sinking the shot here, right? That the way it bounces is just not particularly... Um, effective or resonant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know. I just don't. I don't think it gels as much as even some of the bouncing back and forth stuff in Act Five did. Mm-hmm. You know, when it was really kind of like uh, we're learning about murder society, and then we get like you know John jokes or whatever. Uh, yeah. So one of the other things that I think is interesting, well, about Jasper Sprite, uh is that uh, her design is very similar to the Rose design from Heinous Stuck, the body horror AU that I mentioned way back mm-hmm. when. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that I think is being like folded in here, but also recast. I, I already mentioned this with, um, I think it was when Gamzee made Tavris Sprite with Tavros and Vriska. Uh, and that was like a, a kind of intentionally uncomfortable and pretty grody kind of moment. Uh that resulted in that in that thing like destroying itself but uh this the the sprite squared characters uh do seem like a, an attempt to revisit that but in a positive light like the idea of uh uh maybe your body not having to be the body that uh uh it always has been right there's something here i think mm-hmm. uh, i think this is this isn't even being said in the thread but uh there is something here about um, the transcendence of uh, self because the the when Rose is mortified, as I said in my summary, it's not this not just that she's like mortified, like oh my god, I can't believe that there's another version of me who is like a a, a weird game ghost and also a cat. Uh, her big breakdown is her saying like. 
oh, this is it. Like, my life has no arc to it, no meaning. There is no way that anyone could say that I have uh, a kind of, like, clear character arc or what have you. Uh, because this is just so, so stupid. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, there is a... On both of those things, right? Here toward the end, we are experiencing this, like, death spiral uh, in terms of just, like, blind alleys that were going down that I don't know how they get resolved, right? What One is uh, everyone <laughs> taking a lot of time to talk about narrative theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And in a way that I find, I mean, very, we'll talk about it, I'm sure. I'm sure mm-hmm. it's in the notes document. I haven't looked very closely. But I'm sure we'll talk about that in just a minute. And then the other thing of uh, maybe you don't have to be the thing you always were. Right. You know, that that seems to be a major thematic here. And if there is a kind of base to, you know, in terms of like a thing that the Vriska stuff, this like retcon that brings unchanged Vriska back, if there's something going on there, it is, uh, well, you know, all these other characters are thinking about and talking about in these long, you know, chat logs. Are they, uh, do I have to be the person that I have been told I was? Do I have to be the person that I need to be? Do I have to be the person that everyone expects me to be? And that's not really happening with Vriska, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that conversation isn't happening, but it's happening in this big cloud around her to the extent that I, you know, if Homestuck has ever had subtext, right, it's structural subtext, right? Mm-hmm. But there's these, like, weird rules that are running around in the background. And it seems like everyone is having these conversations except for Vriska um, in the, in this part of Soth. Um And so maybe that, you know, gives a hint about where she could go. But again, there's just not that many pages to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how, I mean, maybe there's... I, I swear to God, if I have to read like a 10,000 word chat log, that's Vriska going through the many cycles of Vriska's. I, I'm going to blow my top. I'm going to freak. <laughs> I don't like that chuckle. I don't like Michael Lutz's little mm. chuckle. Michael Lutz's little chuckle. That's our new podcast. That's the next one. I just say a thing and you. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah, so the <laughs> I think the uh you know that's the the more conciliatory way of reading the sprites and then as you say there's this yeah. there's this weird uh well it it aligns with Dave in some other ways but Dave is also the one who's like uh Rose what are you talking about people don't have arcs <laughs> like why are you freaking out like this people don't have arcs uh which is a kind of resonant uh line with the long conversation that he has with John and Carcat about uh uh toxic masculinity and compulsory heterosexuality yep which is um boy that's a thing that makes the thread angry it should be uh also clear right that like one of the things that happens in vriska's a uh, little vriska gram interlude uh by the way I-, I forgot to mention this when caliborn showed us his deviant art uh that mm-hmm. deviant art profile is real and yeah. uh, you can go look at it. It's I dash am dash your dash lord, I believe, dot deviantart dot com. Similarly, this uh, Vriska uh, Instagram is a real Instagram uh, if you want to go check that out. Um, but one of the things we see there is not just that, you know, uh, Dave and uh, Carcat in the mayor are hanging out, but like Dave and Carcat are watching movies together alone on the couch. And Dave is like laying with his head in Carcat's lap and Carcat is putting his hand on Dave's shoulder. So uh, 
we've got all the, the signifiers there of some kind of relationship. But interestingly enough, in the fandom, there is a lot of debate about what exactly is happening here. Now, there are also some people. <laughs> so, what, is the de- so, what is the debate? They're, they're sitting and watching a movie, his head's in his lap, and they're patting one uh-huh, another. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> uh, one thing to keep in mind, I think, is that we are still at this point historically in kind of this fandom mode where... Um, Unless a character, like, says the words, I am gay, there is always plausible deniability. Like, the, it's this weird dynamic where I think the expectation of queer baiting is so built in that without the uh, just most explicit textual statement from a character's mouth... Yeah. People scrabble for, like, two, one of two things happen. People scrabble for ways of denying it because they don't want it to happen, which is part of what happens mm-hmm. with Dave here. Um, there are people who are straight up, like, uh, uh, in denial about what seems to be happening with Dave. And they're like, well, you know, the trolls, uh, uh, they don't really have, like, human concepts of sexuality or gender. So Dave is not really <laughs> being gay by possibly being in a relationship with Carcat, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess, look, I, uh, if, I, I'm proving myself a fool in the very partisode, right? <laughs> I said Homestuck has no subtext. But I, I guess, like, that, this to me is so clearly text, uh-huh. right? Like, that I would just never, but, uh, but obviously, like, of course, what you're saying, uh, of course it's true. People are going to find ways to uh, kind of minimize it. And look, it's just sitting on the couch patting your bro. Mm-hmm. Like, who knows? Exactly. Right, mm-hmm. but it... Watching a Dane Cook movie. Right. right. But, it, you know, it just seems like given the, the history between these two characters here, I just read that very flatly. Like, oh, yeah, well, you know, they had time with one another now because Risk is over here kind of causing chaos, really for mostly women, which that's an interesting thing to think about here. How uh, Riska is a universal minimizing agent for men and a chaos agent around other women. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fascinating mm-hmm. to me. Uh, but but guys get to be dudes all alone over here, you know, and they get to watch movies about Tame Cook. But uh, yeah, so I didn't take that as any kind of, anything other than the most direct thing. But you're you're right, and, and absolutely within a fandom um, that is especially on like Tumblr at this moment, mm-hmm. right when this stuff is coming out, where will they, won't they? Between men in particular, is like the fucking thing mm-hmm. in. All of like uh, what what was the phrase super who lock right? <laughs> I guess yeah. I mean that's that's a phrase. Is that the word? Yeah, sure. Yeah, but I'm just thinking about like all the Sherlock uh-huh, stuff. From yes. over, I guess right before this, right where it's like make them kiss, mm-hmm. make make the detective kiss the the army guy, make him do it. Right, and there's all this like looking longingly in each other each other's eyes, but the BBC won't commit. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. My God, can you imagine? Sherlock giving a little pat to Watson. Right. Oh, God. The electricity th- that would flow out of that mind palace. <laughs> but, but anyway, that's all to say. So I can see why a fandom would have that reaction of like, if you don't if you don't give me the goods, I'm not doing the work. Mm-hmm. So there are people who have that reaction, right? One, that this right. isn't explicit enough and it's not explicit enough so I can deny it and find ways to work around it or it's not explicit enough and I need it to be more explicit. Um, uh, uh a detour here. Another interesting camp that of conversation that gets established is, uh, has Dave secretly been gay the whole time or is he bi? What does this mean with the obvious relationship he seemed to have with Jade? Uh, I mean, 
I'm not, I just mark that out because that's the thing, that's one of the, another thing that people talk about, right? That's another way that mm-hmm. in the, uh, uh, serial reading experience, um, everything that happens is open for so much more speculation and debate, uh, in ways yeah. that if you are reading this archivally, you you cannot comprehend like this is one of the things that's become so clear to me like doing this project is like and and it's one of the reasons i wanted to do this project was to show people like how homestuck serially was a was a different text in some extremely real ways and the relationships that people forged with it were very very different and at the same time i think a lot of these uh serial relationships set kind of modes or precedents uh for things that continue to echo uh you know further down the fandom uh a- as mm-hmm. things go on right like cuz these are kind of the the fi- the foundational reads of homestuck um but one of the interesting things then about homestuck's fandom uh is that it is a like <laughs> attenuation or resumption or rereading of readings that were themselves uh, established in an extremely different context with the object mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. uh so that that's you're fighting your grandfather's war <laughs> <laughs> so so that's one thing um is that what you're gonna be yeah. you're gonna be like the like the you, you know uh, the apocalypse has happened and you like come you got like a big headband on you know to keep the sweat and dirt out of your eyes you got you got one eye you got a big eye patch uh-huh. you got a big backpack and you come and you're like i've i've brought the sacred text <laughs> It's the original chat logs where people were arguing about Homestuck. You're fighting the wrong war. That's sort of how I feel, right? Uh, uh, not to not actually say that I think there's like a wrong, like it's wrong to approach Homestuck right, right, in, right. in this mode, right? Uh, but I just like, as someone who comes out of academia, has a lot of academic training for how uh, uh, to understand how to read texts, how to read text within historical context, and how historical context, modes of historical production and reception uh, uh, changed how, uh, Shakespeare was understood in 1600 versus now, right? Like these, these are things that I know about. Um, Mm -hmm. it is fascinating to me to see again, uh, these kinds of dynamics play out in a contemporary, uh, medium with a contemporary textual object. And I, if there's a reason that this podcast exists, aside from me, uh, getting to do my extremely long-term indulgent Caliborn joke, um, it's like, I want people to know that you can do this sort of stuff, like that this is a way yeah. that you can think about stories uh, and how stories are made and how stories are told and what they mean. Yeah, history is real. Yeah. Time time happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it is a function of ideology, right? Just period, right? This is just like straight up all through Sarah, right? It, it is a function of ideology to take it to present itself for an ideology to present itself and then naturalize itself, mm-hmm. right? Uh, something that was an intervention in history, you know, an idea or a concept or a structure that emerges in a particular historical condition, its very function, the thing that it exists to do, is produce effects in the world. And one of those effects, this is actually maybe Dillis and Guattari more, right? <laughs> uh, those, those effects, an ideology, a way of interpreting the world, right? An imaginary relation to real relations, uh, as Althusser Sarah calls it, right? One thing that it does is it projects itself down into the future, mm-hmm. right? Uh here is the way we have to think about the world going forward because it is necessary for some, you know, ideological reason to 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 maintain a material relation. 
but it also projects itself backward in time. Mm-hmm. I, this was already the case the whole time, right? You know, this is what Deleuze and Guattari say about capitalism. The 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 fascinating and horrible thing about cap- capitalism is it sets the terms of how you engage with the world going forward from the moment of the invocation of capitalism. But the other thing it does is it writes itself back in history to create the conditions of its own emergence, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, it's like I don't know some sort of English. <laughs> lord or something i don't i don't really know right but what it does is it says the way that we got here was always determined mm-hmm. right because of the way that uh you know uh feudalism built up into particular kinds of poolings of resources and then those resources have to move because that's the way that that uh capital functions right, right? Mm-hmm. capital only uh functions when it grows and so the transition from goods or the transition from hordes, essentially, into capital is the recognition that things need to move to grow. And so then, therefore, capitalism was always inevitable Mm -hmm. uh, within a particular historical context because uh, goods and wealth needed to find a way to circulate in order to recreate itself, right? That's the history Mm -hmm. that that capitalism tells about itself, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Hordes got so big that capitalism needed to happen. Well... All ideologies function that way. And a way of reading is just, in a way of interpreting something, is always just an ideology, right? It is an imaginary relation to real relations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that's just to reiterate exactly what you're saying, right? That, um, and I find that fascinating. I think that's really interesting that at, at the time, in, it sounds like what you're saying to, to because I, I know that I've talked for a long <laughs> time and you have talked for a long time since that thing, right? But in the moment of these things being posted, there are arguments being made that the very terms of those arguments kind of set the poles or the goalposts of many other conversations afterward. Mm-hmm. And and re-engaging with that initial idea and maybe debating with that original idea or not agreeing with the initial claims that are made, that might be productive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, taking taking kind of a, a, a sideways glance at, at certain things and where certain ideas come from and just... Uh, well, because I think Homestuck ultimately is very useful for underscoring exactly this this mode that we're talking about, um, which I'll have more to say, actually, in, in the next uh, partisode, I think, um, uh, because of the way that Homestuck is constantly foregrounding questions of interpretation, not just kind of on its own textually, because that's certainly happening, uh, but because the fandom is constantly... Uh, doing as in in the words of the comic, right? These acrobatic fucking pirouettes, uh, of interpretation to come up with some wild theory that seems cool or like to debate is <laughs> is get his Dave really gay if he's like kissing an alien boy, right? Like, <laughs> hmm, uh, is Dave really gay if he's kissing? An alien? That's our, that's our next podcast. <laughs> it's just a deep dive on that. Um, uh, well, yeah, I, you know, and I think that, uh, the comic has consistently been interested in, uh, what happens when you thought one thing was going to happen and another thing did. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's narrativizing, right? It, it can't help. That's the other thing it does. There's not a lot of subtext, but the other thing the comic always does, as we've talked about many times, is it takes, uh, uh, things that are happening and narrativizes them clearly, mm-hmm. right? So, like anything that's thematically occurring gets just like popped into the narrative. It turns into narrative events or plot events that occur one after the other. And so, uh, alongside the kind of rug pulls that we've talked about are these kind of uh, reverse moments of, hey, 
you know, I gave you all the clues, mm-hmm. Mr. Police, you know, these kind of hussy maneuvers that we, we've noted, then that gets pulled into the plot. And it's mostly been under Dave as a character, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Dave is the, the one of the few characters, this, Dave and Riska, are, are some of the few characters who have really had a lot of words to reflect on their own history and expectation versus outcome. Mm-hmm. And a few other people have two. Carcat, Dave, or uh, Carcat, and John have two. Rose a little bit, but but Rose and uh, Roxy, their way of getting that is so linear, right? Mm-hmm. It's basically all about alcoholism. Yeah. Um, you know, I, which I guess technically didn't happen now because Vriska like punched a drink out of Rose's hand. Yeah, but it still happened because, you know, she gives us this long monologue about mm-hmm. it, right? Like, that's the fascinating thing is that it's like a thing happened as much as it needed to in order to give these characters some kind of closeout to these ideas, but not enough for it to drive the plot like it used to. Right. Um, uh, so, you know, everyone gets their cake to eat it and gets to eat it too. And so it's a little unclear about how much you're supposed to be responsible for, right? Mm-hmm. Like what, how, how much of the, how much of what happened is what happened and where does Vriska stop stuff is mm, big question. Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, but anyway, that's all to say, right? Like the, the way that character transformation gets narrativized here and gets brought into character, character discussion and character exposition, um, you know, it really is being hammered into Dave here at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the thing then the, the to touch on about the whole Dave stuff is that there are people who are livid about it, right? There are people who are trying to deny it. There are people who want uh, more explicit confirmation of things. And then there are the people who see it for what it is, and they are pissed. They are in the thread. They are angry. Uh uh, saying, like, there are people who come in now and say, like, oh, uh, this is just Tumblr pandering. Hussey's given over to the SJWs. Uh, Hussey has lost it. Um, it is, I'm but, just going to quote. Because Dave's gay? Yeah, it is, I'm going to quote this. Or or interested in Carcat, beyond giving a label. <laughs> I'm going to read this. Oh, it is pretty funny to me now, though, that as many characters have turned, strike through, been revealed to be gay, uh, that now the main character, when he says he's straight, is given the old talking to about how you should just go along with everyone else and be bisexual like everyone else, you weird freak. It holds a nice mirror to our current society. What? I mean, this is where John, like, so John and Dave have that conversation where Dave is kind of like, you know, very, very much like uh, uh, locuting around uh, certain right, right terms right. of sexuality, but he's doing it by way of talking about like, John, you need to be like less invested in, in masculinity or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so th- and this <laughs> that's a good that's a good conversation. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, but like there, this person like is so angry, right? They, it's like, oh, uh, oh, all the characters are just ter- being turned gay. Uh, and now John, uh, because he's the one who the, the character who said, I am not a homosexual and is still like going to bat for being straight. Now he's being bullied by the other characters who are all getting progressively more queer. Yeah, but the, these are other characters trying to get John to understand them. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, like, very... I mean, this this is like the double-edged sword of the whole thing, right? Like, uh, the of the of the Homestuck as a work, right? Like, we've talked about it. Bounces modes. Mm-hmm. One of those modes is YA fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
characters figuring out who they are is YA fiction, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's very appropriate to me that, like, these characters would be figuring out their sexuality or whatever. This is kind of why, you know, throughout the comic, I've been like, why is this the, for being in the genre, how is it so, like, uh, un, you know, I don't, I don't know, unromantic, you know, in the, in the most, um, uh, I don't know unexplicit way unromantic right mm-hmm. in, the, in the most explicit way unerotic right mm-hmm. like uh twilight is a lust filled uh you know uh uh <laughs> what, what is that saturnalia mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the word i was looking for compared to homestuck true mm-hmm. um you know uh homestuck will always go for the gross joke or the sometimes the racist joke including dave's favorite rapper being obama uh-huh uh, in this very reading that we did, uh-huh. right? Like, it'll go for those jokes. It, it doesn't go for, overwhelmingly, doesn't go for, like, something that would just be normal in a Hunger Games or a Twilight, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, and so, you know, this is this is the way it's YAification can actually tiptoe into issues of sexuality or issues of desire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of of teen, you know, teen feelings uh, in, in a more direct, a hormonal way, right? Mm-hmm. And it backs into it through dialogue chat logs that are the most, like, weirdly reasonable conversation that two teenagers have ever had with one <laughs> yes. another about sexuality, right? <laughs> Which is like, I don't know. I kind of like it when my bro pats me. <laughs> you know, when Cart- when the shouty guy pats me, I kind of like it. <laughs> kind of like, like it when right. the shouty guy pats me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool. It's fine, Dave. Like, it's all right. And you know, also reading this from twenty twenty two to to when when this this is twenty fourteen twenty fifteen I think twenty fifteen right. So you know, uh, as much as we don't like to think about it, still twenty fifteen was still a very different world than the world that we live in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, even despite uh, some some truly nightmarish things happening and continuing to happen in the world, uh, that was a, a long way away, right? you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I can yeah, I can still see uh, you know. Hey, hey, uh, Michael. Did you know that uh, nerd culture informs culture has not really been progressive? Oh, <laughs> historically. Oh, I. Do you know? I that? didn't know that at all. Huh? Do you know? Like during 2015, there was a huge rise of um, asshole behavior. <laughs> I hmm. I no. I think I missed that. I think I was too busy going to Patreon.com/slash/RangeTouch. <laughs> wow. Monetize it. <laughs> Where you can support us uh, 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 here at Range Touch and the shows that we do. Wow. Yeah, this is an ad break now. <laughs> it wow. got too real for me. I had to break it. I had, had, to, had to eject. <laughs> you know when all the way back when you said that people said uh, that you were the most like car cat mm-hmm. and I said that was ridiculous? Mm-hmm. This is the most car cat you've ever been in your life. <laughs> <laughs> this very thing that's occurring right now. Oh, there's all sorts of bonus episodes uh, for Homestuck Made This World. If you back us at the $10 level, uh, we have talked about so many intertexts that I think would illuminate uh, some of the conversations we have here in case you've been confused about like the way that the never ending story is constantly coming up for us. Uh, that's a really good one. But uh, most recently we did Detective Pony. And I think possibly when this episode is going live, let me double check. Mm-hmm. I believe so, yeah. Uh, Paradox Space yeah. going Yes, up? when this episode is live, when you're listening to this, you can uh, go to patreon.com slash rangetouch and support us, and you can get the Paradox Space bonus episode where we are talking about uh, the Paradox, Paradox Space 
side comic uh, that was running uh, alongside the final couple of years of Homestuck. And we'll just be talking about all of those comics that are set within kind of Homestuck uh, space, right? Uh, uh, the canon space or rather non-canon space uh, by a variety of different uh, writers and artists. Um, we'll just be talking about those. And I think it'll be interesting and a fun time. Uh and we really appreciate all the support you give us at Range Touch if you're already supporting us. And if you don't support us, uh, just, just consider it or, uh, you know, and, and maybe tell someone else about our shows. We don't do any advertising other than this. Uh, and the other, I guess, format is through... Uh, reviews on your podcast platform of choice, but in particular Apple Podcasts. If you leave us a review that is both five stars and funny, then there is a chance that Cameron might read it on air. I got got two. We're up to 5.0 out of five. Thanks to everyone who got us to 5.0 out of Woo-hoo! five. I think in a previous part of episode, I complained about it, that we were not all the way there. Uh, but now we're there. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Um, you know, uh, let's see here. I'm trying to look for, uh, you know, there's some good ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is from Fan of Frogs. Like Lizards Wrestling, I haven't ever heard a better review of a terrifyingly large webcomic. <laughs> it's true. Okay. This is from a Roxa Crocker. That's great. <laughs> this is my NPR. <laughs> Listening to this podcast on my commutes into the city for an internship has made traffic somewhat more bearable in the informative and academic nature. Makes me feel like I'm listening to NPR like an adult, while also injecting more Homestuck into my life. It has also proved to be a quite good accomplishment to my friends that I'm reading through Homestuck. Without the slurs, uh, by the way, this is a side within the thing, you know, obviously we didn't do that for this, uh, I, you know, I... I uh, I think it's important to talk about the thing as it were, but if you don't want to do the thing, if you're not doing a uh, thing on it, there's apparently for the unofficial Homestuck reader mm-hmm. uh, a mod you can download, or maybe even a, just a little toggle now within it that you can remove some of the slurs in the early comic if you don't want to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, in decide. As it provides uh, historical context that I, even as a seasoned Homestuck reader, was not aware of. Mm-hmm. Whether you were there during the hiatuses, dove into this webcomic after it ended, or have no clue why these kids are stuck at home, I wholeheartedly recommend this podcast. Wow, thanks, Roxa Crocker. And yeah, I guess these kids aren't stuck at home anymore. Yeah, yeah, no. Really, uh, uh, given the light of the title by this point. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, you're right. Yeah, so thank you so much. I bet Calliope's circus or whatever. I bet they left the circus in that one too. <laughs> whatever that was called. What? They left the circus. What was the thing? Yeah. What was the? What was the comic? The oh, oh. Uh, uh, whistles in the starlight, Calliope. Oh yeah, that. Mm-hmm. One. I bet that Calliope's not even starlight. <laughs> I'm not sure. I can't remember if even the starlight Calliope ever shows up. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> Because it, it's unfinished. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the All right, well, we're done. We're, we're done with the, the ad break now. Yeah, we're done with the ad break. So uh, speaking of being stuck at home, uh, another thing I, I want to point out here, uh, also on the Dave track, uh, is that a lot of the stuff that he's saying about compulsory, uh, uh, like, like masculinity and heterosexuality, uh, is for him coming out of his relationship with his bro. Uh, and this is another move that I think is uh, very interesting and worth keeping an eye on because over the past, say, maybe two or three partisodes worth of reading, I've been noticing this uptick in the thread of uh, as a, a kind of uh, 
a fan theory, a fan reading interpretation of this comic gains steam, uh, which is that when you think about it and look back on it, Bro was abusive to Dave. Uh, all of the stuff where he, like, you know, had a ninja battle with him on the roof of their apartment, uh, that was abusive. Um, all of the weird uh, Muppet pornography that was sitting around the, the apartment, that's, that's, a, that's pretty questionable, people are saying. Um, maybe my uh, favorite, and I say this just because of how specifically odd it is, um, the favorite moment of this that someone points out in the thread is uh, when, when Dave and Bro are having that rooftop battle, uh, there's, I, I think I even pointed out this joke back when it happened. Uh, that they're in in the like strife animations uh, when you have the little battle menu there's always the abscond option which is like fleeing the battle and when you pick that uh, as Dave fighting bro bro will whip out his katana and slice the abscond option in half so Dave can't leave and so someone is like that's abusive um which like I'm not saying this to uh uh like, denigrate like depictions of abuse in fiction or to say that like you know it shouldn't be there um but this is definitely like a sea change in how people are reading this relationship this is not how people understood this stuff and it touches on what uh we were talking about earlier about how readings and interpretations get produced in time this is not how people were reading the comic earlier um when like that like that joke because that's what it was that's how it was taken that joke of bro like slashing the abscond option in half like was taken mm -hmm. as a sort of function of oh these are like you know this is like a little game parody and these are fictional characters and that's why it is perfectly normal for a 13 year old to have a ninja battle with uh his 30 year old brother or whatever uh because it's mm. not normal like we're we're not applying rules of normalcy here uh but we are seeing a reading that is emerging of people uh going back and rereading earlier co earlier content that had a different reading protocol to to steal your word that you took from uh Delaney um uh, and I I need to flag here mm -hmm because someone will know this, that this is a term that was added in an edit to the title of a Samuel Delaney essay mm -hmm. that Delaney never used. <gasps> Pro reading protocol. Oh, no. And he doesn't like it. Okay. And yet, it has so much resonance within science fiction studies that I will continue to use. Mm -hmm. So I'm just letting everyone know. But yeah, reading protocol. Yeah. So th this is one of the things that we're seeing happening is that like that's happening on the level of the fandom. And it's a part of a dynamic that we've outlined before that Homestuck is constantly encouraging you to reread it and to reread it with like what you know about the future in mind and then to reinterpret what you've already seen uh, with an eye to either what you know is going to come in the future or like to uh, produce novelty. Right. Like you, there's a method of or like I, I think a, um, an impetus here to like read in ways that produce novelty to like, you know, uh, uh, produce a new theory of how things are going to turn out or like a new turn mm -hmm. for a character or something. Um, and so uh, we're seeing that happen. And we're also with kind of Dave's gestures here toward bro, not being the best guy to live with. Uh, 
we're seeing that starting to influence the comic. So again, more Homestuckian uh, uh, stuff where like the response of readers gets folded into the object uh, and in so doing uh, retroactively makes what the readers wanted to be true always already true, even though historically, factually, this is not how readers were understanding the comic four years before this. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I think that's interesting. It was really wild to see it kind of happen in real time. And, uh, I guess I maybe go on at length about it here ultimately because I'm just, I'm not sure, like, it's fine, right? Like the comic does what the comic does. I, Homestuck is not the first web comic that I read. Absolutely not. Uh, and one thing's that, one thing that, uh, long-running webcomics often did was uh, this kind of, like, wild vacillation between modes. Uh, even um, the whole thing with, like, Rose and Roxy about, like, oh, here's a character whose, like, characteristic is they're uh, uh, drinking all the time and they're drunk. They're the funny drunk. That's their character. This showed up in so many webcomics. Here's the comic relief mm-hmm. character who's constantly drunk. Uh, this webcomic runs for a year, a couple years, the author gets kind of bored of doing the gag a day humor stuff. Uh, suddenly, we're going to take that character's alcoholism seriously. Um, this was this was a, a a thing in storytelling and kind of serial webcomic storytelling of the time. Um, but I highlight it here because I just ultimately don't know how I feel about it because it does end up uh, producing this kind of odd situation where. Um, the, the later kind of, uh, uh, stuff in the comic, uh, uh, skews the earlier stuff and, like, papers over the experience of, like, what the historical situation was at the time. In just a, a mm-hmm. again, the reason I'm doing this project is because I think it allows you to uncover these things and think about them. Not that there's, like, an answer to be drawn from the questions that I'm trying to excavate here, um, but mainly just to show you that you can excavate these things and then you can figure out like what to do with that information on your own terms. Yeah. You know, and as you're describing this and talking about it, I think that this relationship to comedy versus seriousness, right. You know, um, having, uh, you know, everything to do with Dave in act one, right. Versus, um, you know, Dave thinking about, you know, like a real human being would with like psychology, right. Um, later on about those things in, in the later acts, or, or even the the drinking stuff that you're talking about, right? You know, in, in the same way that we have talked about earlier on, the kind of shift that Scott McCloud talks about between realism and iconicity, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, you, you can draw a smiley face, and that's representative. It's iconic of a human, right? It's, it's representative, but it is not a photorealistic human. And then you can draw a photorealistic human, you know, with your oil paints and your whatnot, and those are, uh, you know, for McLeod, those are on a on, a, on a, uh, a spectrum with one another, right? They're kind of two ends of a spectrum, um, and and art lies in between. And each is a tool, kind of in your tool belt, right? When you when you go for uh, realism, you're you're using that for a particular kind of purpose. And when you go for iconicity, you're using that. And we've talked about that in the visual strategies here before, right? Um, in in the comic that. Uh, that, that, you know, some of the jokes operate that way, right? You get these, like, really uh, realistic looking uh, of, you know, like, um, uh, 
kind of uh, sketched out bodies and action poses and things like that. And, you know, a character gets introduced by flying in or teleporting in or whatever, you know, that's animated or it's a GIF. And then the next panel will be like the little, you know, Homestuck iconic people, mm-hmm. right? Um, the little paper doll looking people. Uh, and it's like, oh, you know, it's funny. That's part of the humor, right? It's like, oh, you're, you know, they are these little iconic people. And we've talked about that repeatedly. Uh, what was the... Uh, what was the ter- Hus nasty uh-huh. style, right? Mm-hmm. That versus, you know, more uh, iconic style. We've talked about those in the past. And I think one way of thinking about these kind of narrative threads or these narrative uh, things is that there's an iconic versus realistic version of that, mm-hmm. right? And I would say that's probably close to, closer to something like surface versus depth in the sense that a character who is drunk for comedy, right? Roxy as she is introduced, mm-hmm. that that's surface level, right? Like that is a, that's a joke that, she is a one-dimensional character whose whole bit is that she's like drunk in text, and that's funny, mm-hmm. right? And like it's played for humor. But then there are times, in the same way, the art style can change from one character to another. There, there are other times when depth, or you know, this kind of psychological realism takes over. What are the implications of someone who drinks all the time, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, what what are the social circumstances? What happens there? You know, and, and that's the thing. And so Homestuck is pretty interesting in that it does vacillate back and forth between those things for characters. It's not as if there is, across what we've read so far, there's not a universal maneuver from surface to depth, Mm -hmm. right? Like, John, in some scenes, is a psychologically real written human being, right? Like, he has thoughts and feelings and desires and uh, concerns and worries and fears. Mm-hmm. You know, he has the things that make up a person, and he'll talk about them. And then, in some panels, still, up till the part of so that we read today, he is a cartoon character of a little boy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, still. Mm-hmm. He bounces back and forth, but what seems interesting to me about the fandom response here, which is like a reasonable fandom response, uh, in a general sense, is that because the comic itself is... Um, a totality, right? It's a big thing. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, it is the thing. It is Homestuck. It's not Homestuck panels. It is Homestuck, this whole synthetic creature thing. It's a big thing. Um, any instance of depth, of psychological realism, is taken to be the more true thing than the shallow representation. Mm-hmm. John always has, the, even in scenes where John is a little cartoon character of a boy, he has the psychological realism of his most psychologically real scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that really informs a lot of the reasons. And I don't have a good way of strategizing, you know, I don't have a reading protocol for dealing with that. I would say that, that in the art, uh, you know, in the art situation, it's very clear that bouncing back and forth is part of like the tool in the tool belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's harder on a narrative level to recognize and kind of grapple with the idea that psychological realism itself is a bouncing back and forth thing. Mm-hmm. And that it's a tool in a tool belt at any given moment. And the the most real moment is not the most true moment necessarily, um, and because I, I think that within the reading culture that we're in, within the reading practices that we have, within the kind of especially at this moment, you know, we're talking twenty fifteen, the wikification of uh, fandoms. Period. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the idea that the the summative, the responsive, the um, the databaseification. Right. All those things. Um, that that the the most depth you could pull at any given moment is always the most true version of the thing. And I, I in some ways, I think we can be resistant to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we need to take the most the most 
uh, realistic, in big quotations, right? The most, you know, kind of psychologically deep version of a character. I don't know if that's the truth of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the sense that I don't know if there is a universal truth to a character, right? This is my resistance to the, the you know, the purely ideal character form, right? right? Like... I can talk about a character as it is represented in a series of visual and narrative acts. Mm-hmm. I, I I can't talk about. I, I have a hard time, which is not to say that the fandom impulse here is wrong, right? It's just a different reading strategy. I just have a hard time jettisoning it out into something other than that. And so for me, when I'm engaging with Roxy uh, or um, Rose and drinking and things like that, right? For me, it's less about the portrait of the character that's being drawn in, in totality, right? For me, it's it's so so much more schematic in terms of like, well, what is what is being accomplished in the moment of representing drinking as the joke? What is being represented, or what is being accomplished, or what are the goals that are happening around the questions of, uh, you know, buying all this psychological realism out of drinking and alcoholism, right? Um, and it's ultimately just a, a different reading strategy, right? Like I'm not invested in these characters as anything other than things on the page, mm-hmm. right? I'm not, they, they are not personal to me. They are, I don't have characters other than my, my beautiful darling boy, of course. Um, you, you know, uh, and also Gamesy. Mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, you know, other than, than these kinds of things, like I just don't have a connection to them where, I need to figure out what's going on in Dave's head. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so much more interested in what's going on in Homestuck as a thing um, that, that I don't have kind of, you know, fan characters in that kind of way. So in some ways, my entire strategy here is uh, not up to the task of what other readers want the thing to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that, that parsing those things out are important. If the art can oscillate and accomplish different goals at different times, then I think it's worth everyone thinking about, well, what does a narrative form of depth accomplish when it oscillates back and forth in time right i got two additional things to say here okay uh this is going to be pretty hard i think tavros in in my fan casting <laughs> tavros should be played by langston kerman it, it in in the movie of homestuck he's a quite talented actor but he's got in some uh in some of his roles he's got this kind of like annoying voice that he does He's being a nerd. Oh, oh, he's that guy from Southside. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Bethune the Bethune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, he would be a good uh, Tavros. Yeah, I just, I was reading Tavros in here and I thought Langston Kerman should be mm-hmm. Tavros. Um, uh, also really fascinating to me here, and I don't know where, there's nowhere to go with this, so it's just a statement. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think this is like a prompt for conversation, really. But it is interesting yet again that, uh, you know, we've talked about class specs many times over the course of the, the you know, class stuff mm-hmm. over the course of the show. Uh, and my kind of watchword on this is like, it matters when it matters and it doesn't when it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the narrative seems interested in it when it solves a problem or explains something or... Uh, allows a character to do a thing you might not have expected them to do. Uh, or, and when that doesn't matter, no one talks about mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and, which is fine. You know, it is what it is. Um, but uh, it is interesting to me that Vriska comes back and is constantly talking about class specs. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which is lines up with alternate Vriska, right? Arania also appearing into the plot. And talking about class specs the whole time. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually part of the reason people are theorizing that this is just Arania pretending to be, be Vriska. 
Oh, that makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense. That 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 checks out. But yeah, anyway, that's that's why I thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, something I thought about jumping back actually to to that scene because you mentioned this a couple part episodes ago. At this point, that Dirk is basically Batman. Uh, yeah. and that like really, really just unfolded the character for me in a new way that I found very delightful, especially here at the ending, where it's like, oh yeah, so Dirk is Batman, Dave is basically Robin. And it's so funny to imagine that, like, Batman sitting, like, on, on like, the roof of a tower with Robin and Robin wanting to have, like, a, a sort of awkward conversation with him and Batman just being, like, eh. Eh. like, not having anything to say. Like, I, I, basically, throughout the yeah. end of this comic, I'm reading everything that Dirk says in kind of a very gruff Batman voice, um, which is extremely humor inducing for me considering he's still talking about things that like a 16 year old boy would be talking about uh yeah the uh, yeah we don't we'll talk more i guess in the next part of it about how these conversations i do love that they show up and they're like what would we talk about right. and they like can't they like can't get it going mm-hmm. i like that mm-hmm. uh i guess the other thing to talk about here broadly is like uh, because we, we've hinted at it a couple times, maybe just speaking to it directly. What's going on with uh, literally every character signposting, like the hero's journey and narrative constructs and character arcs and all that kind of stuff? Well, we have to wait and see how this is going to play out, uh, right. obviously. Um, historically, I think how a lot of this is being understood. I mean, people really take the Dave's line that people don't have arcs very seriously. Um, Hmm. and because of the meta structure of Homestuck, not just the text itself, but also kind of the fandom, this really interesting thing starts happening where, um, like, uh, all of these people like signposting the hero's journey and then talking about how they don't fit into it, or they're going to like basically flip it off. Right. Like that's, that's the sense here is like, oh, especially with Dave. Right. Um, my bro was training me to be this like cool warrior dude who was going to uh, be the guy who defeats Lord English. This is also part of like other stuff that was happening with Dave back in Act Five that like his personal quest. Mm-hmm. There were all these things about how like there's this great evil coming and you're the chosen one who's going to defeat it. Um, uh, because of how all of this has worked out. Uh, People are like, oh, thinking that stories have to have arcs or like that people or characters have to have like very defined arcs uh, that stories uh, uh, have to have a sort of linear or orderly progression. Um, uh, That's all like specious logic now. And so uh, really interesting conversations happen in the thread along these points because there are people who are like complaining about the pacing. Or, like, how all of this information is being delivered in in huge uh, text dump chunks. But it is, generally speaking, understood as a kind of uh, 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 modes of reading or, like, modes of story construction. And that there is a distinction Mm -hmm. being made here between, like, uh, what is uh, good, not in, like, necessarily a universal sense, but, like... um, that, that this story is prizing certain elements over others. And that if you right. want to prize those other elements, then you are approaching the story wrong. Right. Got right. it. Interesting. Yeah, it's just, it, you know, all of the... Or, yeah, because Jade's not here. So yeah, all of the speaking beta kids 
say something about how narrative devices, how how traditional narratives aren't aren't real, uh-huh. essentially, mm-hmm. right? So like Dave says his things. John says I actually wrote it down. Um. Oh, I don't have the page number, but Don, John also says something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Rose actually says it twice. She says the first thing I think that you referred to earlier uh, about quests and like, does she have a quest or mm-hmm. not? You know, and then that's part of that conversation. And then later on 7685, she says, I wonder what sturdy and time tested narrative construct Jade is going to debunk when she wakes right. up. Maybe she'll lay waste to the notion of in game ships. <laughs> right. Like, so like. You're literally putting into the character's mouth, like um, you know, this kind of narrative concern. Um, so that and that's fascinating to me, right? It's fascinating to me that that the comic has summoned up a character to do plotty plotty plot stuff mm-hmm. in Vriska, right? To drive the plot forward while having every other character literally be summoned up to pump the brakes, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> like we are only putting Calliope, Rose, and John into this long conversation to pump the brakes to keep the plotty plotty plot stuff from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I think that's fascinating. We know that the, we're in the end game now, mm-hmm. as we've been for many partisans. Yeah. <laughs> they got to go fight the con. I just want to set the stakes up before, cause it sounds like we're moving into the end of the episode, the end of the part. Mm-hmm. But they got to go, uh, in the next bit, theoretically, they got to go fight the condes, mm-hmm. Jack, three different Jack mm-hmm. and perhaps the propitian woman. They don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Presumably they don't, and then they split into a bunch of teams to yeah. do that. Does that happen? Uh, that that that's going to happen in the next reading. Uh, okay. One one stupid nitpick, just to point it out, because we can do this sort oh, of no. thing. The oh. third Jack Noir should not exist. The one with the Caliborn eyes. Why not? Because Gamzee made him. So either Gamzee, and this is you know, it's actually not the point. Uh, this doesn't matter. We can imagine uh, Gamzee got out of the fridge. Uh, just seconds long enough to send that little cal to to Jack Noir in prison. Or, uh, even though we didn't see her do it on Instagram, Vriska did it for some reason. But uh, that's just a thing that, that like, really jumped out at me historically. It was just like, well, how, like, why is that Jack Noir still there? Like, why would you even create that? Why would that be necessary? Why not just cut down on one of the final bosses you have to fight? But are, uh, uh, are people pointing that out? No, absolutely no one notices this. Huh, maybe you're not wrong. in the thread. Have you considered yeah. that perhaps you're wrong? Yeah, perhaps I am. I mean, it, it really is like it is unclear to, because there's such, um, you know, in the parlance of the day, timey wimey stuff going on here. Right. Uh, I'm I'm not tracking that super closely. So yeah. I mean, it, there could be a logic that is that is implicit here or or explicit that I just. Uh, you know, at this point, in terms of like the science fiction mechanisms here, which I think are really creative and, and interesting, at that point, I'm just along for the ride. You tell yeah. me there's three Jack Noirs, I'm looking at three Jack Noirs. Yeah, no, that's why I said it, it, it actually does not matter. I just think it's uh, interesting slash notable that we go out of our way to see that Vriska not only created uh, Arqueous Sprite, but is like extremely proud of having done so. Hmm. Little bit of author insert stuff going on here, maybe. Uh, but it doesn't matter where that like Jack English came from. But yeah, like the <laughs> Vriska really likes Arqueous Sprite. Someone's going to post the longest comment in the discord. <laughs> And like with a timeline and shit involved mm-hmm. to be like, no, Michael, it's going to be it's real. Oh, OK. <laughs> you just know it's going to happen. Uh, yeah. Which well, is good. That's what the discord's for. The discord is not for complaining about me. 
It's mm-hmm. for complaining about Michael. Yeah. <laughs> now, now that I've uh, uh, gone mask off fully. <laughs> no, it's not for complaining. If you're coming to our Discord to complain about something you heard in the show, please don't. That's my <laughs> that's my ask to you. Please don't mm-hmm. do that. Uh, uh, one other thing then that I wanted to share here. Uh, because I think it becomes very important for the fandom and how they understand this comic. And it touches on all of these things that we've talked about, about like different versions of characters and uh, who's more important or like, is it better or the question that the comic eventually asks is like, is is better or worse even a question worth asking when dealing mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, dead punk Vriska versus a live jerk Vriska. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in early 2015, or maybe this is mid 2015, is there a date on this? Yeah, it's May 2015. Uh, Hussey gives a review uh, with a a website called Big Shiny Robot. Um, And uh, it's about Hive Swap, uh, the video game, the Kickstarter video game. Uh, but mm-hmm. kind of in the middle, it the the conversation switches into just talking about Homestuck generally. And the interviewer asks, uh, why do you kill off all your characters? And Hussey responds, dead characters have a funny way of sticking around in Homestuck. It's a story with a very big cast. In a big cast, not everyone can be a major character or enjoy the spotlight too long. All stories with huge casts have certain means of letting minor characters recede into the background after they stop being relevant. In Homestuck, death seems to be the line between relevance and irrelevance more than anything else. Some ghosts then struggle to stay relevant in the story but usually fail. That's one answer, which may or may not be satisfying to you. And this is this next part is the one that I that gets a a, a lot of um, uptake. Mm-hmm. There's another answer that is more practical. Homestuck is supposedly a story that is also a game. In games, the characters die all the time. How many times did you let Mario fall in the pit before he saved the princess? Who weeps for these Marios? In games, your characters die, but you keep trying and trying and rebooting and resetting until finally they make it. When you play a game, this process is all very impersonal. Once you finally win, when all is said and done, those deaths didn't quote-unquote count. Only the linear path of the final victorious version of the character is considered quote-unquote real. Mario never actually died, did he? Except the omniscient player knows better. Homestuck seems to combine all the meaningless deaths of a trial-and-error game journey with the way death is treated dramatically in other media, where unlike our oblivious Mario, the characters are aware and afraid of the many deaths they must experience before finally winning the game. Uh, that's an interesting thought mm-hmm. that I don't know if holds up necessarily in the comic as read. Yeah, it's I, I think it's interesting, too, because and I remember this really jumping out at me historically when I read this interview, uh, because it is so tonally different. It, it's a lot. It's something along with like the what you called a, a hyper sincere Dave. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. There, yeah. There's a kind of like. Uh, uh, a sudden sincerity here that is uncharacteristic of a lot of stuff that has come before and doesn't actually square with it, but it's all being presented as if uh, the squaring could happen. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess maybe I need to like see the end of the comic before I have like a strong opinion. Yeah. About like the game nature, because that's come up a few times, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in our uh, in our Discord and some conversations about talking about you know 
things that we've criticized or praised and then talking about them in terms of the game stuff. And again, much like class specs, right? It seems like Homestuck has the rules of a game when that is convenient to make a thing happen within mm-hmm. it. And it is that isn't true when it's not. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like uh, a thing that also doesn't happen in a video game is uh, two and a half hour uh, dialogues between three characters. Uh, that that uh, tends Hideo to not Kojima much? Uh, I've, I, you know, even those don't have, they often have, uh, things happening in the cutscenes, not just people talking, um, even though there are some, sure, but I'm just saying, right, like the mix of action versus, um, I mean, you know, there's this podcast game study study by this that's talked about one definition of video games being actions mm-hmm. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that happen, right? Um, and which is, I'll say, like, I, I don't want to, uh, I'm not saying all this to like, poke at the thing because i think this is a pretty reasonable way of talking about it. it's a perfectly acceptable answer if someone were to ask me that 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 would be about homestuck this would be an easy and convenient answer well hey look people die and there's a bunch of different alternate versions of them because that's like kind of what happens in video games um, mm-hmm. that seems reasonable i just wouldn't take this to be a uh this is not a primary reading method for me <laughs> Mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. If mm-hmm. I, I think that if you read Homestuck and evaluate the whole thing as a game, I think you come to like very different conclusions about what it is and like why things happen. And I guess that's fine, but it's not what I'm after. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I sort of agree that there's um, there's something odd here. And I just want to like, I guess, get, get down close into Hussey's words here to, to just point it out. And again, you can talk about how, how stories, however you want. I'm not actually like slamming Hussey for this. Uh, yeah. but just yeah, yeah. in the it's, way uh, it's a very reasonable thing, right? Well, yeah. it's also, I think it's worth noticing, um, how often Hussey will, uh, say things that they do not own by which I mean, articulate claims that you could think are Hussey's claims. But if you look at the words that Hussey says are not the things that Hussey is claiming. Now you, you could also say that like, well, obviously the claim is being made. Otherwise, why would Hussey be saying it? But just notice this. Mm-mm-mm. In Homestuck, death seems to be the line between relevance and irrelevance. Hussey is not saying that that is what death is in Homestuck. Hussey says that's what death seems to be. That's one thing to notice. Homestuck is supposedly a story that is also a game. Supposedly. Homestuck is not... Hussey is not saying Homestuck is a story that is a game. Saying supposedly. Like, that appears Mm -hmm. to be something other people believe. Other... That seems to be a valid way of approaching it, according to some people, right? Um, uh, all this stuff about who weeps for these Marios, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> uh, except the omniscient player knows better. Homestuck seems to combine all the meaningless deaths of a trial and error game journey with the way death is treated dramatically. So again, Hussey is not saying this was my artistic design. This is what I did. This is what the comic is. Hussey is like describing the comic as if it's some sort of machine that, uh, is just sort of happening and making uh, provisional claims uh, that are not owned but uh, yeah. uh, offered to the world as a way of uh, maybe thinking about this object. And I think that that is notable. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that, that I'm now immune to this, you mm-hmm. know, so I'm just like, yes, of course. But yeah, I mean, it's something we've tracked across all of it. This has been pretty consistent um, in terms of Homestuck, right, of, of Hussey. Mm-hmm asserting that homestuck is in some ways independent Mm -hmm. um of of uh of their control Mm -hmm. uh which i you know i just i like 
it, there are very few things I think in the show that are just like dead ends in terms of, for me personally, of like a thing that you can say that I just kind of reject on face. Mm -hmm. And one of them is that Homestuck is like running itself, right? That there are constraints outside of what the, the human being puts on the page, mm -hmm. um, right? Like you can talk about, you can, you can talk about uh, the way that you have written characters in the past to, to put them on a trajectory, Right. Mm -hmm. You can talk about that. You can talk about playing out themes or ideas or concepts that have already been kind of in place, you know, uh, kind of a, a watchmaker idea, you know, uh, given A and given B and given C. Then when we get to F, then therefore something must happen. Sure, that's totally fine. But you set up A and B and C, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, the the. um You know, it, it's like uh, I think this is a, a metaphor you've used before. Right. But it's like. um Calling, uh, calling the strike, uh, while having also made the rules of baseball, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? right? And being like, I don't right. know, my hands are tied. And it's like, well, you you made the rules of baseball here. You right. made the rules of Homestuck. Um, you know, you it, it it does not exist outside of of the thing that you're doing. And it would be different for me, honestly, truly, if it were a game, right? Mm -hmm. If it were a set of ifs, if then statements, you know, mm -hmm. algorithmically kind of constructed in order to create a system with variable outputs, right? right? But it's not. It's like every panel goes through a person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think um, some of the pushback we get on uh, this topic when we bring it up, I think comes uh, uh, from this other interpretation of these things that I'm highlighting here, these kinds of uh, equivocations in Hussey's speech. Um, because the, the thing that uh, people would say is something like, well, what Hussey is doing is not pretending to kind of like mastery over their own creation. They're allowing kind of space for reader input, uh, for readers to make, you know, decisions or to like understand the mechanisms of the story in kind of their own ways. Um, and I, this is a thing that's important for people, a lot of people, that Homestuck makes this kind of move and has these kinds of empty spaces or has this kind of uh, wiggle room for people to, to theorize and come up with their own understandings of stuff. And that's, that is fine. Uh, that's good. Like, if, if that's how you want to interact with Homestuck, obviously that's how Homestuck wants you to interact with it. But the, mm -hmm. the thing that I want to underscore is that uh, Hussey, even doing this, is in fact a way of setting up a rule while acting like you're not setting up a rule by yeah. saying right like that becomes like the 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 space for interpretation becomes the new rule that Hussey has set, uh, and uh, that means that you can argue say that Homestuck should be understand as understood as a game more than a story, uh, but it also means you can't point to this conversation and simply say that that is proof because that's not really what Hussey is saying. Hussey is saying that that's a possibility. Um, right. And so it, it introduced like, uh, you know, the bottom falls out on all interpretations or it's a, what we've talked about before is the author function. Hussey seems in some sense aware of the author function and, uh, is always doing their best to kind of like extract themselves from it while keeping the structure itself stable. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is such an interesting set of maneuvers to do. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. I mean, because it gets narrativized, right? Like in terms of like this, the 
Hussey saying this is a game, and then sometimes Homestuck does kind of operate like a game, right? You know, mm-hmm. particularly when class specs come up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes it doesn't. So I'm curious about kind of what the final maneuver is, right? Like, yeah. is the end of the comic just game rules playing themselves out? Uh, or is it, you know, something a little bit more arbitrary? Because it feels like you have to. Have, if you want an arbitrariness outside of function, outside of algorithm, outside of... If A, then B, then C, then F in terms of narrative control, then you need arbitrariness at the, on the part of the author. You need an author stand in, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, you know, we haven't seen Hussey in the comic in a while. And uh, uh, also, like, notably several years ago in a Forum Spring response, uh, Hussey gave her answer to some question about Homestuck's ending, or it was specifically, I think, about the ending of Problem Sleuth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, there was that, like, little epilogue after they defeated the final boss, and it showed kind of like what everyone in Problem Sleuth was up to. Mm-hmm. And someone was basically like, hey, uh, could we expect something similar to the end of Homestuck as we saw at the end of Problem Sleuth? And Hussey's response is... Uh, uh, Problem Sleuth was presented as a game, and it had an ending like a game. Homestuck is a story, and it will have an ending like a story. Huh. Uh-huh. Now, here we are a couple years later. Homestuck is a game that is also a story, or a story that is supposedly also a game. So something, yeah. Mm. Something's shifting, or or things are slippery, or... I. Just or Hussey's just undecided, right? Yeah. And and needs to kind of play multiple sides in order to set expectations. Because ultimately, right, like anyone who's been involved in a big release of and you know, this is a bigger thing than I've ever been involved in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in terms of just like what's up, management of expectations is a critical part of it. Right. Right. Uh and I, I would read this any interview kind of given post Kickstarter in particular is about the management of expectations. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, so I'm curious about, yeah, I, you know, I'm more interested in seeing this through than I have been at any other time. Um, if only because like things are, things are ending. Yeah. <laughs> and also I've got this uh, absolute tome of a book sitting on my desk oh, of the epilogues. Also, uh, if someone made a Crusader Kings three mod uh, that's about Homestuck, I'd play it. <laughs> Let us know if there are any Crusader Kings 3 Homestuck mods, and if there aren't any, please make one and let us know about that. Uh, I guess we can wrap up this part episode then. Uh, I don't think I have... Oh, uh, one actual just like point of business. Uh, you asked one or two part episodes ago about um, some of these panels where they, uh, during Calliope and Jade's narration, mm-hmm. were these drawn by Hussey or were they drawn by uh, Shelby Cragg? Those were Shelby Cragg, uh, uh, I'm pretty mm. sure. Okay. So, uh, there are points where there are like uh, uh, Shelby-like assets that show up in images that were made by Hussey, absolutely. But I think uh, all of the actual panels uh, that are illustrated by Calliope are illustrated by Shelby. So just to, to clarify there. I did find on the Reddit, uh, the Homestuck Reddit. So I made a Lord English in Crusader Kings 3 ruler designer. He doesn't really look like Lord English, but <laughs> people are trying. People there, are out there. All right. Uh, next time, rejoin us for episode 12, part two of Homestuck Made This World, uh, in which we will continue reading uh, the end of Homestuck. Uh, I would like you to read up through page 7959. Nine. <laughs>